Hello everybody and a very happy new year to you all. In today's video, we're going to pick up on where we left in 2023, talking about serviceability, first home buyers, deposit requirements. And now we're going to move into the grants that might actually be available to you for a lower deposit. This is a question that's been asked quite a few times, particularly over the last couple of weeks as we start to move back into the new year in 2024 and people have these new year's resolutions to purchase property. So if you are someone who is struggling to save up for a deposit being a first home, but you earn a good amount of money or you feel like you should be there, this is going to be a video for you. If you stick around to the end, we're going to have a bit of a conversation about the current interest rates, what we're starting to see in the market, and what our opinion is of where this might be heading over the next 12 months. Person I'm speaking to, you've all seen him before, Simon, thank you very much for being here again to kind of explain in a little bit more detail about what this looks like. So when I talk about grants, we're talking more importantly about the Kyunga order offering a low deposit, those 5% deposits. Now, ideally, we're going to have 10% or more, but there are circumstances that might arise, meaning that 5% is all that we might have. What are our options and around that? So Simon, can you please like briefly explain Kyung Order First Home Loan and sort of why that's here in New Zealand to help us and why it's been introduced? G'day everyone. Uh, good to be here again and to speak to all our clients and future clients because I'm sure after they hear this, they'll all want to be piling in. So no, the Kyung Order First Home Loan, Kyung Order First Home Grant, and then the Home Partnership, which has temporarily been taken off uh, the market at the moment. But to go through these in a real brief manner, the Kauranga First Home Loan, Kauranga have partnered with a number of different banks to essentially guarantor the deposit that's needing to make up the normal 20%. So yeah, it's a really good initiative. It allows people to get into the market. And if you have a little bit of a history on how New Zealand has, or New Zealand government or government agencies helped people get onto the property ladder, you'll know that this isn't the first of its kind. There's always these types of things popping up over the decades. And I think there's a real incentive for governments to essentially allow people to get into the market or get into an appreciating asset, grow the wealth of families in New Zealand, but also it contributes to GDP, housing and, and things like this as well. So yeah, the New Zealand government through Kaunga Ora helping people through these guaranteed loans and also grants. So I like to call it free money. <laughs> <laughs> and when you're talking about these loans, we are specifically talking about these low deposits, right? We're talking about that 5% threshold because that is the threshold is a minimum of a genuine savings of 5%, right? The initiative is there to help New Zealanders get into property because that's the end goal. We've seen rent percentages increase over the last five months. That has a lot to do with the market, inflation, a lot to do with a few other things. But when we're talking about this loan that Kyunga Auto is offering, it's 5%, but not everybody's eligible for that, are they? No, there is an eligibility criteria that you have to meet. And you know, it's, it's actually 90% of the people I speak to fit this criteria, but it would be really good to just have a quick understanding of, of what that is. And there are the Kong or a website where, where it details this, but I'm sure you'll want to go through it. Yeah. Well, I guess ultimately we've got the 5%. That's the first criteria, right? Mm. The second one's genuine savings. I want to be specific here because some people think they just need to have that in cash. It's, it's not the case. So it's KiwiSaver and your cash. So if you combine that to be 5% of the deposit, then you're there. You meet that criteria. Yeah. So KiwiSaver and or cash. Does a gift count into that or does it have to be genuine savings? Yeah, it has to be those two avenues, genuine savings. So cash savings and KiwiSaver because they see as KiwiSaver, you've contributed that. There are some employer to add that as well. So there are some massive advantages and yeah, but we do need 
5% to come from those two avenues. Yep. And there are obviously, we've got the residency criteria, New Zealand citizen, PR, permanent resident, or a resident visa holder, right? And you've got to be in New Zealand. That is one of them. Now, you also have to be a first-home buyer, right? But we're going to touch on this a little bit later. If you have owned a home prior and you're in a similar financial position as a first-home buyer, there are options available as well, right? Yeah. So I speak to middle-aged people that have gone through like a divorce or a separation or or whatever situation it is, but they find themselves in a situation that is very similar to someone who's buying their first home. And that is evaluated and then provided in terms of you go through the eligibility criteria and you can get a checklist to see. Whether we'll we'll kind of talk about some of the high level a little bit later on on that because I'm sure a few of the people listening today might fall into that category because it's a common question we get, right? The other requirement is your income cap requirements, say, like you can't be earning ridiculous amounts of money and fall onto this criteria. So there are a broken down criteria of income. Can you explain what those sort of three criteria might be for someone that is on their own trying to buy it versus somebody like a solo mum or dad versus, you know, a couple going into this? Yeah. So essentially you've got the three different brackets. You've got the single individual without any dependents. You've got an individual with one or two dependents and then you've got the couple right the combined income and the individual you can't earn more than $95,000 or you can't have earned more than $95,000 over the last 12 months I'll come back to that the other criteria is 150,000 with dependents and then again a couple 150,000 combined so when I say the last 12 months I mean there is quite a possibility that you're you know coming up in your career you got like 80,000 90,000 you're doing really well and you're getting pay increases along the way decent jumps and you're at say 100 105 120 whatever it is over the last 12 months if you didn't earn that then you're still eligible so you could be on a 100 120k salary and because over the last 12 months you haven't earned that you still fit within the criteria. And that's through your IR3s, IRD statements. I assume you go into the box, you just 12 last last 12 months and it shows your annual income. Wow. Okay. And you did mention dependents. So if I'm a solo mom, solo dad, there is still those thresholds there of last 12 months of income as well. Correct. At 150. At 150. If you're a solo parent with two dependents, let's say, and you're earning 150000 over the last 12 months or earned 150000 in the last two months, then you fit within that criteria. Right. And then a couple, if you're husband, wife, 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 husband, husband, whatever the makeup is, combined income over the last 12 months of 150, you fall into this category. Correct. Yeah. And ultimately, in that case, you effectively only need 2.5% of deposit each if you're buying it together, right? Because they amalgamate a total of 5%. Correct. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) to throw some maths in there. So one person might have the full 5%, the other person might have nothing, right? That doesn't matter. It's not 5% each, it's just a total combined of 5%. That's right. I won't go into the complexities of it when we're talking about people just slightly outside of what is considered a couple, but there is a term called a borrower of convenience, but that's why you come to a financial advisor and find (laughs) out these things and and then attack things with a little bit more clarity. Yeah. And that I think is critical. And we will talk about that in a little bit more detail, particularly with your eligibility criteria. And not every bank is going to be offering this, right? And Last thing I want to do is keep going around every single bank and getting no's, no's, no's. And we'll, we'll talk about how we can combat that. But I want to use a bit of a scenario with regards to what we've talked about and your eligibility criteria. So let's just say I'm a, I'm a solid father. Okay. I'm on $145,000 a year and I've saved up the genuine savings. 
I have heard a lot about low deposits equal higher interest rates. I have heard a lot about these low equity margins or fees. It's costing me a lot more to lend the money from the bank. Is this something I need to be prepared for? Is this accurate? Or are there, I wouldn't say loopholes, but are there other avenues I might be able to go down to be treated similar to another person with more of a deposit? In general, yes, there are associated fees and extra, maybe a margin on the interest rate. But what I would say is that the devil is in the detail. It depends on the lender. It depends on the criteria. It depends on your specific circumstance. There are cases whereby some lenders will actually give you a better rate than anyone else on the market. Yeah. Okay. For through these five okay. percent loans. Now they'll break the loan out whereby eighty percent of the loan or ninety percent of the loan will be charged to you at a normal or even in some cases better than normal special rates against other lenders. And then the amount that got you to the deposit of 10%, um, and in some cases 20%, will be charged that little extra interest. So it's not as if the, I'm not saying that product isn't there. Some lenders will charge you a low equity margin on the entire lending. But again, this is why you come to a financial advisor to see if you qualify for something that's much better. And in case anyone listening today hasn't heard our last episode where we did talk about these low equity fees and margins, can you just give a really quick detail, a really quick explanation of what a low equity margin is and a low equity fee just really quickly? Yeah, so a low equity margin is a little bit higher interest rate. So they add a little bit of an interest on the interest rate. So whereby someone may be qualifying for, say, a 6.99 or a 7.05% rate on a one-year rate at the moment, they may add, say, 0.5% on that loan until you get to a point where you have that 20% deposit in the property, whether that's by you paying it down or the property going up in value. You go to refix and you and the advisor or, or the bank uh, recalculates that. So that's the equity margin. The other thing is the fee. Now, the low equity fee can be paid upfront and is calculated upfront when you go to do the loan. Alternatively, in a lot of cases, people capitalize these fees, aka put them on top of your loan and pay them off at the same period. Okay. So in some instances, depending on the bank in which I go to, I might be charged more than another bank. So what you're saying is it's ultimately best to get some advice before I go searching around all of these different banks to get some no's because I don't know which is best, right? And not every bank is offering this at this point in time. Some banks come in, some banks remove themselves at particular times, depending on other factors, which we won't necessarily go into. But it's important to understand what our options are to begin with, because ultimately the goal is to kind of remove any fees down the line if we can have less, oh, sorry, more equity. So meaning that the amount of money in the property is higher. We want to move from that 5% deposit, you know, the LVR side of things all the way up to that 20s and keep going and keep going. So I know there's two real key ways that you can do this. Can you explain how I'd move from a 5% deposit maybe to a 10 to make it easier? How do I go about getting rid of these fees if one is going to be charged? One thing would be making sure that you're getting the best deal out up front so you're not paying extra so that you can go towards paying the mortgage down faster. Also, it would be like maybe buying a property under value. Maybe that's quite hard for someone who's going in at, at 5%. But, you know, you can work with a financial advisor to understand what, for example, some of the reports that we pay for as a company to get access to, to, un to have a better understanding of what the property is really worth. And what really is important is to understand how the bank sees it as well. What's the property worth through some of the systems the bank uses? And if you can purchase it for under that in a lot of cases what you've done is you've increased your deposit right from the get-go from that purchase and then obviously to up that deposit from five percent to more you've got a number of factors which any good financial advisor will run through with you they'll 
ask the questions appropriately to see if you have eligibility or if you have, you know, the bank of mum and dad and, and, and the possibility of just topping that up slightly to get over a certain threshold. That gives you the capacity to sell the idea to your parents as well. Yeah, I guess there's other ways too, right? And it could be that you might be quite hands-on. You know, we talked about renovations that we've both done in properties, our own properties. I like to think of myself as a handyman now, but when we start looking at there are other ways. You know, we could potentially redo bathrooms. I might be good at doing DIY. I might have friends that will be willing to help me because by doing that, we can create value within the property, right? And then get it revalued. And by getting it revalued, it might be, ideally, it's going to be higher than the purchase price. Now, if it is higher than the purchase price, let's say buy a house of 500,000, got a 5% deposit, I do some work on it and it comes back at 600,000. If I do that work within two weeks of buying the house, will the bank then take the 600,000 value and then remove all the fees? Or is there like a set time frame? Or Well, like if you've capitalized the loan, it stays there, you can't remember it. If you've got a low equity margin, you would probably have to redo the loan. So if you're within periods, say like a three-year clawback period at a specific bank, you have to go to another bank. This is where spreadsheets and the calculation of whether or not it's worth going ahead to do or not is to be considered. You don't want to be going into these kind of things blind. But yeah, you want to look at a property, see if there's value through renovations, see if you actually, because you earn a good income, seeing if you can continuously save, utilizing structures that might allow you to pay down your mortgage while having savings, for example, you know, the bank of mum and dad, as you said, or even getting a family member who wants to buy into the property and can bring, you know, their money into it to kind of capitalize there as well, I think. So there are definitely options for us to help people move from that 5% to the, the 15 and the 20, because when you get to 20%, right, that's what the bank really needs you to have in that property before you can start to look at creating more value in the property and recycling that equity, right? And what I mean by that is that if I've got a, a house worth 500,000, right, they need to see 100K worth of value or equity within that property. Anything over and above that 100,000 that's created I can potentially take out for renovations or potentially take out to buy another property as well, right? So like getting to that 20 is that goal. And it's about making sure you're surrounded by the right people to make sure that that can happen. And there's so many different factors to do it, but it all starts with being with the right lender, getting the right structure and understanding all of your options as well. Because what we have to remember is that yes, you can get in at 5%, but you have 95% of debt. We still need to be able to service it. So you might not get your dream home. Actually, you're not going to get your dream home. But getting on the market now is extremely important as well, right? And it's about just getting those starting blocks and getting everything moving. Because if you do have aspirations to purchase property down the line and create wealth for your property and generational wealth, we need to start somewhere, right? I know mum and dad didn't start in the house in which they're at right now. They bought a little shoebox. So you've got to start somewhere. But when it comes down to these serviceability aspects, you know, you're about, you can borrow or even debt, you know, because there's a lot of people out there that do have debt. When we're going for these 5% deals through Kiang Aura, do they, how strictly do they look at, you know, the debt aspect of things? Um, so maybe higher purchases or credit cards or car loans, how do they look at that? Yeah, you, you don't want too much, but ultimately to cut the answer really short, ultimately it comes down to, there's three pillars of how the bank sees your application. There's your LVR position, and we're talking about that. The, the, the value ratio. Yep. And the, the percentage of deposit you're bringing. The serviceability, so your ability to service a loan over the term, so the 30 years in a lot of cases. And then finally, it's account conduct. So if you've got many different credit cards and many different higher purchases and all these little loans, although you may have cash on top of that in the bank account and KiwiSaver that makes 5%, it kind of doesn't look that great. You know, I'm not saying you won't get approved, but the more of these loans 
especially if you're not keeping on top of them, becomes an issue because that's the third pillar, the yeah. account conduct type yeah. of thing. And in some instances, it's probably better to get some advice as to what to do first, right? Is it pay down debt quickly? Is it what, where do you that's start right. if you have right. credit cards? Do you start pay the credit card or the high purchase? Do you pay the credit card, the high purchase or the vehicle finance? And conversely with what I was saying in relation to like those debts not being a good thing, it doesn't mean that I'm suggesting that you throw all your cash at paying that down either because then that's your deposit gone. Of course. Right? And the debt that's on these other, you know, short-term debts, they're not lumped into your home debt and thus reducing your deposit. So if you are just getting the threshold of 5% and you want to get into a home soon, then I wouldn't recommend taking your 5% cash and paying down the higher purchases, especially if you can afford and service the 95% loan. So this is where the complexity comes in and this is where specific advice is really needed. Yeah, I can't stress enough, right? And it's not because we're in the industry, but it's because we've helped thousands of people get into their first, second, third, sometimes fourth, fifth, sixth and you know, couldn't and beyond. Yeah, and, and beyond. <laughs> right. And that's, I think, not where all of us want to get to, where a, a lot of us do want to get to, but it's about getting that education, that assistance, right? I don't, I don't go to my supermarket to get some medical advice, right? <laughs> it's very similar. Like we're effectively practitioners or financial engineers, right? That's how we look at things. This is us, uh, our area. So you can't, you're not going to get that unbiased approach if you do go to a, an area that that one person can only provide advice on one particular product, i.e. a bank, right? Um, now, I'm going to circle back on something because we talked about the eligi eligibility criteria for Kyung order, mm -hmm. and we talked about uh, being a first home or a previous homeowner with a, in a similar financial position to a first home buyer. What does this mean, and do you have an example of how this might work? Yeah. So... Um I have a middle-aged uh, gentleman that I'm currently working for. Uh, he's one of my clients and he went through a divorce and it was very costly and his deposit isn't quite 20% um, now uh, in terms of cash um, because of the fact that he now no longer owns a home through that divorce, a deposit that's not quite 20%, he can access his KiwiSaver because he in that situation is very similar to someone at his age group that is looking to buy his first home. So that's an example of someone that will become eligible. Yeah. And again, a really important part of that, I think, to note is that if you have used your KiwiSaver in the past, you, you don't qualify for that, right? But we do see situations where maybe, you know, a brother or sister has been put on the title of mum and dad's home to help service it. Now that technically counts as a first home. So it means that because I've been put on the title to help my family, I technically can't use my KiwiSaver for a future purchase. Technically, that's how everyone sees it. But you actually can in certain circumstances. In certain circumstances. Exactly. And, and, and I, I, that becomes a little bit more of a holistic advice that you want to work with lawyers and yeah. understand what the asset um, protection aspect of things are, Why? what was the purpose of having that person in there, and who's going to look after the, the remaining owners if she or that comes the out. example no longer is an owner. Yeah. And um, so that, that's when we, we suggest that we – 
bring those other um, people into the equation so that we have an understanding so that we can help both sides of of that uh, transaction. So ultimately, in that instance, that that was the case. But, you know, if you are somebody who has owned a property with a partner in the past and are no longer with that partner and you didn't use your KiwiSaver and you want to buy a first home, there are possible options available to you. Um, it's just making sure that you talk to the right people to see what your options are. Because look, you can ask a question. If you don't ask the question, the answer is always no. It's something I run with a lot, but it is, right? And you want to understand what your situation is because you don't want to be stuck in a rut, do you? That's one thing that you don't want to do. But I want to circle back to that because a lot of people have this understanding that they can't do something along those lines. Now, I think we've gone into enough uh, detail about the Kyung or a first loan. And if anyone has more questions about this, I'd love for you to reach out and ask um, either one of us, or we can put you in touch with the right people if we can't answer the question, but um, we should be okay. Um, but I, if there's anything that we haven't made clear enough, or there are more questions, you don't know how things work, or you've got examples of how you might have been turned down and rejected, we'd love to understand what those are, because I guess a little spoiler alert, in our next conversation, we are going to be running a conversation about clients that have been turned down and the you know, particular people have said, no, we can't lend you the money for us turning that to a yes. So we'll try and do that next week, but it does happen. So we do need to understand what that quite looks like. Um, but we talked about the first home loan. Now there's also the first home grant, which is completely different, right? So talk to me about what the first home grant is and what the eligible criteria is for that. Uh, at the beginning of the podcast, I talked about free money, mm. and this is what I mean. Okay. This, this grant is essentially free money. Um, <clears throat> now, uh, you know, some of those uh, libertarians, uh, true true libertarians out there, um, may, may not uh, like the idea of this, but but the government is taking some of the tax money that we pay and giving it to people to to get into their first home, and it can be up to ten thousand dollars per person. So it's not a small amount no, of money. It's not a lot. <clears throat> now. There are some catches with this. You have to be in KiwiSaver for a certain amount of time. I think it's a minimum of three years from from memory. That will allow you access to if you're buying an existing home of, of three thousand dollars per person. At, per person. And then if you purchase an existing home and you've been in your KiwiSaver for five years, you can get a five thousand dollar grant. That's where it kind of stops for existing homes. And then you've got new builds, uh, which doubles it. So you effectively can draw down ten thousand dollars for a new build each. Each. So in a, in a partnership, you can get $20,000 extra from free, free, <laughs> free money, money. <laughs> uh, from the government if you follow, follow into this criteria. For an existing dwelling, it's a combined five each for 10. So three years entry, so $1,000 effectively every year, starting at three maximum of five. Right. And that doesn't mean you're just like new builds isn't just townhouses, right? That yeah. just, that could be a new build off the plan. Yep. That's right. You could get, you get someone to build you, uh, your home. You could, yeah. Anything that's in, and it requires a new title. So it's about making sure that you've actually exhausted all of your avenues because there are probably people out there. When I asked the question at the very beginning, I made the statement to say, like, if you feel like you should be buying property this year because you earn, good money and you just don't know how to do it. There could be options available for these people, but they just don't know it yet. So a conversation is free to have. We don't charge for conversations, right? Because our goal is to get people into property. That's ultimately our key goal, right? Now, we've talked about the Kyung Ora grant. We've talked about the first home loan or Kyung Ora loan. At the beginning, I did mention about the current interest rates, uh, the trends that we're seeing. So if you stuck around to the very end, this is where we're going to kind of dive into this in a little bit more detail. Now, need a 
put a proviso in place that this is our opinion and our opinion only. We don't have a crystal ball. We can't tell you what the interest rates are going to be in six months or 12 months, but we can look at trends and what we're seeing and provide an opinion. So one thing that I have seen is that long-term mortgage rates are starting to make a bit of a shift. What, what do you make from that? We can definitely see the decrease in interest rates on the end of that curve. So three, four, five-year rates have come down recently. That's a fact. Now, whether or not that's a temporary thing, a long-term trend, we'll come to know. What we also know and as being the funding that the New Zealand banks get is majority from overseas. And what we're seeing already is, for example, the uh, Fed, Federal Reserve of the US released some data about how where they see interest rates going. And it's quite interesting to see essentially what a lot of the pundits are saying is that there's been a pivot in the Fed's outcome, uh, forecast. And so what they're forecasting is several drops in their official cash rate and going into the next year. That's definitely going to affect our pricing. And so that's effectively, I think, one of the bigger factors as to why we're seeing some of these longer trends be pulled down. It's a matter of time to see whether or not it eventuates and that will flow through to some of the shorter term in New Zealand. Yeah. So ultimately what you're saying is that oh, oh, we know this overseas markets have a direct impact on our own economy and our own interest rates because we purchase money effectively from overseas right and we buy it at a particular rate so when the official cash rate overseas starts to go down that means the buy rate is less of that money and meaning that our interest rates will start to decrease over this way as well now how long that actually takes we don't quite know but if we're starting to see those five four or three years start to slowly drop people might be quick to jump at those rates as well right but one of the risks, and this is just being speculative, is that if you jump at a four-year rate and they're offering you something a bit lower, they're probably expecting the one to two-year rates to be lower than that four-year rate in four years' time, right? What I would say is that, you know, financial advisors, we're not in that business. What we are in the business of is ensuring that our clients are aware of the risks and take on an approach that reduces that risk. One of those ways you can do that is by just spreading over different terms. So some on short term, some on long term. Hedging your bets. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. And so by doing that, you're not making a prediction. What you're doing is you're choosing to take the average of those periods of time. In that regard, you're not going to get the worst. All your loans aren't going to come off at this time, the peak of the market. <laughs> Although, unfortunately, I, I do deal with clients that come to us that, that are in that position. We educate them on how they can not be in that position ever again. And so that's just a matter of like just spreading some of the terms over and they say, oh, but everyone's talking about interest rates coming down in a year and a bit. Yes. However, if they're all wrong, you know, which we were, you know, a lot of the pundits were wrong going into this downturn as well and the increase of interest rates. So, and so what we would say is that don't make it a betting game, make it, make it a sure thing, reduce the risk by spreading, spreading yeah, the change. And I think you can see from the graphs we've seen with, each economist from the major banks and their predictions, they're all different. Not one of them is exactly the same, right? Which shows the uncertainty in the market. So making sure you might be a risky person, you might go all one year hedging your bets, right? But you don't want to go backwards. What we have, are seeing from October last year to through to this year, 52% of all New Zealand fixed mortgage rates are coming off. There's going to be people in there from 2 to 3% moving to 6 to 7 Now that's going to create probably or potentially a higher percentage of mortgagee sales. Now, while we don't wish that on anybody, there is going to be potentially opportunities 
opportunity in the market for people trying to get in. Now, that's not a nice thing to say, but it's just the fundamental truth is that there's opportunity. And I remember asking Landon this question a long time ago, like, when is it better to purchase property? This was a good year and a half ago. He was, I said, when the money is expensive, but properties are cheap, or when property is expensive and money is cheap. So both the other way around. And he said to me, he goes, anytime. And it is the case because it's a long-term hold, right? So do the Warren Buffett thing, right? It's like time in the market, not timing the market. And property is no different. It's about getting in. But first off, we need to assess our, our potential. Like, do we have enough money to service lending? How much can we afford? What do I need to do with short-term debt if I've actually got that short-term debt? Is my QB server working for me and in the right place? There's so many different things to think about. And are we protected if, <laughs> if, our mortgage, you know, if we can't make those mortgage repayments? Exactly. Or, or even before we get to the mortgage protection side of things and the insurance that overlays all of that. If something happens between that journey, that's going to, you know, you might suck up all your savings just to cover your your cost of living. We don't want that to happen either, right? So there's a lot of things that require some assistance. And what we're trying to talk about is how we do those things. So having a conversation with us is easy. It's free, right? You might not get the answer you want straight away, but we'll be able to give you the tools to help people, right? Now, over and above these deposits thing, these deposit conversations we've had, do you feel like there's anything important that we might have missed that we want to add in as a little bit of help? I know we're going to talk in our next, I guess our next webinar about real life deals and how we've helped first home buyers. But do you think there's anything in the market that people need to think about or is it just take action now? What I would say is that there is no risk in seeking advice, right? The only risk is, you know, the time that you spend, right? And if you substitute Netflix for a conversation with a financial advisor, then there's only an upside there. So reach out. One of the financial advisors here at Mortgage HQ would be more than happy to assist. And at least you'll be provided with a little bit more clarity as to what your next steps are. If you can't make it immediately, then we'll be there holding your hand along the way. Awesome. And now that concludes our episode for today. I really hope there's more answers than any than questions. If there are any questions, please leave them below. We'd love to hear your feedback. We'd love to hear about some of the topics you'd like to know more about. We can get some of our wider team in here as well to have conversations about areas that they specialize in as well if you do want to dive a little bit more detail. But we're not people that sort of believe in New Year's resolutions ourselves, right? Because action is what holds people back. So today is better to make a move than it will be tomorrow. That's just the ultimate truth. We don't need to wait for the new year in 2025 to make a decision. It's all about now. So it's about having those conversations, educating yourself, seeing the online content that we do have that might be able to slowly help you get into the right position. I can't emphasize that enough. It's all free. It's all out there. Focus on yourselves, help yourselves. Look forward to seeing you on our next episode. And that one, we will be running over a live deal for a first home buyer that Simon's personally helped. Bit of a complex deal, but it's uh, pretty cool to get these live deals talked about and just show an example of how we can help anyone out there listening that is in a very similar position. So thank you very much. Hope you've enjoyed. We'll see you next time.